Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. You enjoyed your lunch. I'm going to remind you of next week's talk topic with Dr. Ellen Offenberger, Fusion Energy Status and Prospects. And there's two sessions next week, one Wednesday at 7 p.m. at the U of L, and of course our regular noon SACPAW session on the Thursday. Fusion Energy Status and Prospects. I also want to remind you that these uh, sessions are available as a podcast on the website, so you can download those to your iPod and listen to them again while you're on your stationary bike or something. There's also a comment blog underneath each of the sessions. We also have a suggestion box in the lobby for ideas and comments. Again, with Sophie LaBelle, what is transfeminism? What can it bring to feminism in general? How do you define cis-sexism? And why is it relevant to address? I'll invite you all to go to the mic for questions. Remember uh, to state your name. Keep your comments brief. Last time I was moderator, one longtime SACPA attendee told me, I let you all talk too much. So... I don't want to hear that again from him. So <laughs> keep your comments brief and ask your question. After you ask your question, please return to your seat. And again, with Sophie. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Sophie. Thanks for coming uh, out to Redneck Country and visiting with us. Um, my question relates to uh, uh, what what's what what are parents best to do if, for example, they have a pajama party in school and. Your little boy wants to wear nighty. What's what's the best thing to say? I mean, you could say that. Are you ready to be teased by wearing that, or maybe you shouldn't wear that because you will be teased. You empower them. You empower that that little boy, and you tell him, "You go, uh, like like you do what you want." Um, because uh, if you don't, well, that that child will uh, internalize that shame. And um, this is really inter an interesting question because it it raises a lot of um, of issues related to transparenting. Since you want your child to be in security, that's for sure. Uh, that's what uh, my parents wanted to do when. They kept me from uh, wearing my favorite pants to school. Actually, that's when you're talking about uh, pajama pants because um, you weren't talking about pajama pants. Anyway. Um, but yeah, everybody, every parent wants 
their child to be safe and uh, the way the best way to be uh, to make a, a safe environment uh, for a child well it's sad to say but it goes with uh, education and um, often parents uh, become experts on education related to gender and gender issues because you don't want your child to turn into an early educator uh, since trans people are often asked to, uh, to be those educators. Um, often since trans people will be the only trans person that um, people know around them, well, they will have to uh, to explain every time. Uh, well, even young child have to um, educate their parents about that stuff, and it's not those children's job to do that. Uh, we sh we really have to protect uh, trans children and gender non-confirming children. For uh, for uh, for, I think that um, we really have to protect them from. Uh, having to constantly explain themselves and they already do that with their uh, often with their parents and their um, direct environment and so I think the best way to, to protect um, those who are uh, either gender non-confirming or trans is to educate um, and to explain that yes some boys like uh, I, I was about to say girls' pajama, but what is a girl pajama? Pajamas don't have genders. <laughs> so, um, well, they don't have an identity. They don't think. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, the best way is to just uh, empower, well, first empower that ch the child because um, if that child is to uh, live, um, let's say, bullying or intimidation, well, at least they will know that uh, there are people supporting him or her, um, or or them. And uh, this, knowing this, um, because n knowing this is really um, is really s powerful. Because if this child is to be bullied, and if it has to happen, it will happen, uh, whether or not. Um, that boy brings that pajama to class. Uh, most of the time, it's it's, it's really difficult to uh, live in invisibility, um, since you always have to hide this and to hide that. Well, you will build uh, anxiety over that. What what if what if somebody finds out? What if uh, I invite a friend over and let's say he look into my drawers and sees that pajama? Well, it, this is constant, and I think parents um, really have to empower their children first, and because then they will, uh, at the end of the day, they will be alone to um, to, um, to to fight for their rights, uh, to be who they are. Sophie, uh, my name is Terry Shellington. Thank you very much for coming. <coughs> I have a twofold question, if I may. The first is, uh, what percentage of the population would you think are transgendered? This is really um, this is a really good question because we don't know, um, because most of the people, um, most most trans people, uh, will face 
a lot of difficulties to transition um, because there are so many barriers uh, for, for them to transition. And um, many people won't transition. Many trans people won't transition of all their life or they will transition after all they consider uh, being their duty is, uh, is done. Let's say for after having children, after raising children or after they retire. So counting trans people is really hard because sometimes trans people are invisible. Sometimes they don't want to be uh, to be out as trans um, so they won't appear in those statistics. And this makes it really hard to, um, to, to, um, to calculate. And, but what I, can, what I know for sure is that um, 7 to 11 percent of children will show uh, behaviors or expression that aren't typically um, considered uh, as uh, as conform to their gender assigned at birth. So that's 7 to 11 percent that, that won't feel strongly attached to a certain uh, gender they were assigned at birth. And this is a lot, and this, this should be why uh, we address those issues in the classroom. Thank you. Well, the related question was, whenever I've encountered transgendered people, uh, loneliness is a word that I... I would uh, an adjective I'd use. I wondered when when uh, transgendered people think about life partners, if um, if they seek other transgendered people, or uh, and how difficult that must be. Anyway, it's just oh, I love that question. Curious. I love that question because this is this is a constant in my life. Um, all of my boyfriend, I, I'm a heterosexual, so I'm. Uh, I'm into boys, and uh, all my boyfriend always knew about it. But um, it was only when I would date trans boys that, you know, all the fears I had of, you know, what if my boyfriend is only with me because he fantasizes about trans trans girls, um, or what about he likes. Uh, some of my physical features that I don't like or that I reject or and this makes relationships um, well romantic relationships r really hard because there's always this fear uh, this this idea back uh, in our head that well maybe uh, we're not dating for uh, the good reasons and uh, the when when I'm dating other trans uh, people, uh, well, trans boys or trans men. Um, this is really different because we we come from the same place. Uh, we we had many similar experiences, and the sensibility sensibility towards those experiences are really different. And and um, yet, yeah, this brings a lot of security when um, when this happens. But uh, dating is really. Um, is something that's really difficult, and actually, this um, I, I'll be speaking about surgeries for the first time today because I think this is really important. Because one of the main reasons I got genital surgeries uh, were because I didn't feel safe um, in society because I was dating a lot back then, and um, I, I always had to out myself as trans, which could 
put me in some very dangerous positions. Um, I did experience a lot of uh, a lot of violence because uh, people would, you know, uh, come to me and we would chat and uh, let's say we would date uh, a bit, we'd go to uh, the cinema or uh, theater and then when I would come out as trans, um, well, that could lead to really serious violence. And I didn't feel safe because of that and uh, this, this is a reason why uh, many trans people aren't um, comfortable dating, and many many of us will try to seek um, for dating inside our, our own community, since it's much more. Uh, it could be perceived as much more safe than than uh, than uh, the other way. Thank you for coming. I am um, amazed that at my age. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> but you really opened my eyes to oh. the world which I never knew. Now, my question is, would you give us a message to the religions? Because the religions are obsessed with sex. And the sex in a very conservative way. And religions are often last stronghold of conservatism. And religions are often the force that make people violent against people like transsexual people or gay people. So give us a message in maybe ten sentences to <laughs> the religion. Um, I... I'm not. Um, it was. It, it is actually the first time I get asked this question because in Quebec we are really. Um, we really uh, decided to just uh, close our eyes on the reality of religions, and um, we don't. It's not an issue that we um, that we address a lot, and it's actually the first time I get asked this question. Thank you, <laughs> uh, because it is it is important, and um, many trans people will um, seek acceptance in uh, faith communities and I've seen very good things come out of this and I um, well it, it is a um, double-sided uh, is, is that an expression in, in English? Double Two-edged swords. Two oh yeah, we have the same in French. Uh, because um, many religions will prefer trans people uh, to gay people because um, in a certain point of view, uh, well, well, trans people are usually seen as being by default heterosexual because, uh, let's say, um, somebody wouldn't well, somebody wouldn't transition to be a trans woman to be lesbian in many people's mind, and um, so trans people are often viewed as being heterosexual. So if somebody transitions, it's to be with somebody of um, of the, the other gender, usually uh, put into a kind of uh, graphic where there's two opposites. 
I'm trying to avoid the term opposite sex because sexes aren't opposites. Um, <laughs> and then uh, many uh, faith communities are uh, prefer to have trans people than gay people because that uh, transitioning in many people's mind creates heterosexual people out of gay people. Like both are anyhow related. Since being trans, most most of my friends that are trans are also gay. <laughs> like most, actually, I think all of my close friends that are trans men are also in gay relationship with other men. And um, same goes with trans women. Uh, a lot of trans women are lesbians. I don't know the statistics, but um, it doesn't make heterosexual, heterosexual people when we transition. <laughs> In my case, it did, but it's not um, the majority of cases. So many um, communities prefer to have trans people than to have gay people. So, so that's a thing. Um, but um, concerning the inclusion of trans people in uh, in uh, faith communities, uh, I think um, the message to, to, to um, that we can give is that, um, well, I, I don't... I, I'm having trouble right here. Um, since I never actually thought about that question, I define myself as an atheist, but um, I do see the concern uh, seeing how religion is important, especially in Montreal, there's a big... Um, Scientologist community inside the trans community, and so a faith is something that's really important. So creating spaces that are safe inside the faith community is still uh, very important. Hi, Sophie. I'm Bev Mendel Atherstone. Thank you so much for being here. <coughs> there are a million things running through my head. Um, I'll try and stick to one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be good. Okay, um, I guess whenever we talk about gender and sex, um, and you talked about the cisgenics, so those of us who, whatever sex we were born with, physiologically, we, we represent that in, in our gender. Um, and you seem to you seem to contrast that with trans. But I would like to put forth the, the proposition that being cisgenic doesn't mean that we are all the same. If we, are, if we are sexually women and we present as women in our gender, we're not all the same, but our society likes to put us into two camps. You know, if you're a woman, you know, frilly dresses and bows and, and, you know, the tiny little girls, it's even worse now than when I was a kid. And and my question, okay, I'm hearing, what's your question? My question would be, do you think that if we broaden this, the whole thing out about the way we represent gender, the way we, the way we represent it in our society, that there would be less bullying for everyone? And I go back to your, your point about the gender police. Well, that's a very interesting question. And um, um, do you hear do you hear me better like this? 
Uh, well, first, I must say that uh, being cisgender or being transgender is not a matter of um, being stereotypically uh, male or female, let's say. It's really a question of identification, because I know a lot of trans women that are very masculine in their behaviors and in their interest or and and uh, the opposite is true with trans men that um, can have very uh, f- uh, very feminine expression it doesn't stop us from from this and it's really a matter of identification because uh, to be cis uh, is to identify as a certain gender if you don't identify as the gender you were assigned at birth then you just not cisgender. And identity, um, you can't really, uh, you, you just can't, um, you know, it's, it's something that's important usually. And so uh, being cisgender isn't about stereotypically um, act as the roles you, uh, the role you were given at birth. And to answer, um, well, okay, what, what was the question? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, th- the thing is, uh, there is a majority of people. We won't hide this. Uh, I'm not giving you any news here. The majority of people is cisgender. Um, so if we broke uh, the divide, um, well, it's not really a divide. It's just different experiences. If we uh, don't acknowledge the difference in in that experience, or if we don't acknowledge the fact that some people uh, identify as certain genders, um, it takes away tools uh, to fight the oppression of a majority that, that will still be there at the end. Um, even if we stop uh, categorizing people into different groups, um, even if we stopped diagnosing people uh, with transsexuality, I hate that. <laughs> um, there will still be a majority of people that even if they didn't express um, the fact that they are um, the majority or that um, they are the, the normal people, well, the minority will still feel um, that stress being a minority. So I think it, it, it is somehow important to have those categories and I think it's a very noble thing to want to abolish some some of those uh, categories, uh, but when they exist to empower minority um, minority groups or people that are oppressed, um, I feel the same way about that uh, with race. I mean, if there, there's this kind of uh, thing we um, we think. Um, about race, that if we just stop talking about racism, it will disappear? No. <laughs> um, even if we don't consider there's anyone um, that is, if we don't consider race being a thing, uh, if people are all of the same race, well, somehow res- racism will disappear. We need those tools to, um, to articulate the oppression that we live. And so I think it is really useful. Uh, merci pour votre présentation. Uh, I'm Maria Fitzpatrick. Uh, and um, I appreciate it when you said in your presentation that um, when you 
and I'm not sure if it's when you uh, transitioned, but you said that the space in which you were able to speak changed after, uh, I think it was after transitioning. Uh, how did you deal with that? And uh, I'll kind of preface that question or uh, in that as a woman in my whole life, um, I always felt that when I spoke, um, it was considered secondary to any of the men that were around the table. Uh, and I worked in the government for 32 and a half years, and I sat at many tables. And uh, as Bev had said at our table, she would put an idea out, and nobody paid any attention. And two minutes later, uh, one of the men at the table would pick it up, and great idea. Uh, so how did you handle that when your space became more confined? Well, I got in, I implied um, into feminist groups. <laughs> um, yeah, I started um, to uh, being a more activist um, on the feminist side. And, well, just to talk about the subjects in um in context of uh, non-mixity, is that, is that how you call it in English? Uh, non-mixity, when there's only uh, women-only spaces. Well, women-only spaces, let's call it like this. <laughs> um, well, women-only spaces, but also trans-only spaces. Um, and this is something that's really important in communities uh, when... Um, you get those spaces to think about how um, how you're experiencing uh, different kind of oppressions and how um, those spaces that are um, exclusive help empower people for when they are in um, they're out of those uh, those communities and so it's it's really what helped me uh, personally. Um, and also, the, um, my work as an artist really helped me to articulate those uh, those feelings because I could express um, those ideas, those um, those feelings that uh, I had about this. So, yeah, heart and community. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sophie. My name is Mary Shillington. Uh, uh, I've attended a lot of SACPA sessions, and I think this is a session in which the conversation at the table focused always on the ideas you'd presented, and we talked a lot about it, so it's been a great education. And so somebody else at the table had a question about, speaking of education, what is the your experience of the education around these issues in the schools, and how could we improve that so that the children and the teachers know more and, and can make this, our society more open and accepting and so on. So that's our question. Yeah, well, we need to acknowledge that gender and sexuality are different things. Um, and this, is, uh, this isn't one yet. Uh, we, we still uh, have this tendency to mix those two up, and that, that makes it uh, difficult for teachers to address those issues while uh, children in front of them are doing gender or learning gender. And so we need to, to make this, um, this distinction, but also uh, there's a great need for resources that are inclusive and that um, acknowledge the fact that 
those children that you're teaching, every time you're saying a certain sentence, every time uh, you say girls do this, boys do that, uh, you're actually teaching gender. And so we're already teaching gender in the classrooms. We, we just don't acknowledge it. And uh, there's a, there is no resources that um, that speak that addresses this issue. Um, and this was actually the um, the reason why I started creating uh, books. Uh, the first book I made is a coloring book. I have two copies left. One. Uh, <laughs> I made that coloring book because a uh, kindergarten teacher asked me for it because I was uh, then I was working at um, the after school program and then um, children would ask me for um, they were asking me to draw things that they could color and then I started making those uh, drawings that were uh, gender inclusive or aware of gender stereotypes, they were all, all revolving around this theme. And then the teacher saw them, and, they were, uh, and the teacher were like, oh my God, photocopy this, photocopy this, and we want them in our classrooms. Because um, the resources are inexistent, they, they just don't exist um, for children because uh, people are scared to, to raise this issue. And uh, so, yeah, resources, um, staff training, teachers don't uh, don't feel like they are equipped to deal with that. Uh, really often, teachers don't have a major in gender studies most of the time, actually. <laughs> and okay, I, I just wanted to say something before we're off air. Uh, Sophie does have her books over here. You can see Thomas uh, if you want a book, including coloring books. I wanted to ask a question, too, and then we still have time, I guess, for a couple more, even though you won't be on the air. Uh, it goes along with the last question. So how, how do we talk about this with our children? How do we acknowledge that there is uh, more than just the boy and the girl that they see on, in cartoons and things like this? How do we bring it up, and how do we talk about it? Well, just um, just the fact that um, as parents or as educators, uh, we are able to uh, acknowledge the existence of trans people and gender non-confirming people inside trans communities or outside it, because some ge some gender non-confirming people uh, identify as trans, don't, some don't, and um, just. Just acknowledging it um, really makes a whole difference because it makes it possible for those children. Uh, it makes it, um, it it makes it a possibility uh, to well that some of their friends may be trans, uh, and that's something you won't necessarily know, but it's just out there. And just just use language like this um, to make it a possibility because you don't know what's in the pants of anyone first. So that's, um, yeah, really. I mean, most of the children, uh, the trans children I'm working with, um, I'm working with, um, well, they they're on trans, uh, they're out as trans in the classroom or in their school, and um, and to the other children, that um, it makes it so that. Uh, trans people just don't exist uh, unless you have to raise raise it as a subject. Uh, most of the time, when we um, when I go to um, some 
I go inside classrooms uh, to speak about those issues, it's because there's an emergency and uh, there's that student that's transitioning at school and now they need to, th to talk about it. Well, I think it would be a lot more easier for those trans children or gender non-confirming children if uh, we didn't wait until there was an emergency to talk about those subjects. Um, so just just inside language to acknowledge that not all girls have a vulva and not all boys have a penis is already a really big step in trans acceptance because it's a fact that I'm a girl. As a society, we agree that I'm a girl. We, we do agree. And I was born with a penis. So this makes it a fact that not all girls have a penis since I exist. <laughs> so inside language, and also um, if we're to uh, talk about gender non-binary uh, people, well, just to, uh, I hear it all the time when we say boys and girls, men, women, uh, just to... Uh, just to make space uh, between those two terms uh, for people that don't uh, identify. I remember th this time um, I was working in a summer camp a couple of years ago, uh, and there was this counselor uh, that kept making um, two lines, one for the boys, one for the girls. And that day I decided, okay, and then you have the third line for all the others. And well, there was three children, three children, I want to go there. <laughs> and it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to make space for them. And they, they were feeling so proud to be in that line that weren't, uh, that wasn't the, the boy line or the girl line. And it was such a special moment because they, they were invisible. Those, those children were invisible before we just um, created the, the space for them to, to exist. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for such an informative presentation. I'm Bev Trainer, and I wanted to piggyback on the question that Tad had for you. Tad had the question about how do you speak to religion in regards to this issue. I want your, your views on my views. My view is that if there's a loving God... Uh, he includes everybody. He or she includes everybody. Okay? And secondly, if God created the universe, he didn't make mistakes in regards to how people are born and how, what, how they live within their bodies and live their lives. So that was my conclusion to how, what Tad spoke about. That's, and I'm curious to know what your views are on that. Well, thank you for putting words on um, on what I felt like saying, but um, I just didn't have those words. So uh, that that will probably be really useful if I get asked this question uh, another time because I really like this answer. <laughs> so thank thank you very much. I, I love it. I love it. You wanted to know my view on it. I absolutely adore it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Sophie, for visiting us in Lethbridge. And uh, thank you all for coming, and we'll see you next week.